Hi, my name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. This podcast is brought to you by School for the Dogs, a Manhattan-based facility I own and operate along with some of the city's finest dog trainers. During this podcast, we'll be answering your questions, geeking out on animal behavior, discussing pet trends, and interviewing industry experts. Welcome to School for the Dogs podcast. Hello, humans. Thank you for listening. I am here with my seven-week-old baby, Magnolia, again. I've tried to figure out times where I could podcast where she is not going to interrupt with adorable baby noises, but um, I've decided to just go with it, and so um, I now have a little uh, grunting, cooing, occasional co-host who might just be the youngest uh, podcast host out there, also perhaps the only nonverbal one. <laughs> um if you're enjoying School for the Dogs podcast, please do subscribe on iTunes while you're there. Leave a review and give us a five-star rating. It's a good way to let other people know that uh, this is something worth listening to. And if you're on Instagram, uh, tag us in your stories or in your feed. Send a DM. We love to hear from you. Today I am talking to a breeder of golden doodles. Now, I don't really know that much about breeders. Most of the time when we get dogs, uh, puppies at school for the dogs, they are no longer with the breeder, of course. They're, they're in their forever homes. So I had lots of questions on the brain about breeding, and uh, I wanted to pose them to uh, the right breeder. And uh, this led me to see about having a conversation with Sherry Mahone, who is the owner or one of the owners of River Valley Doodles. I first discovered River Valley Doodles because, and this happens occasionally, where at School for the Dogs we'll have uh, one dog after another of a certain uh, breed who is just uh, a fabulous dog, just one sort of adorable, smart, um, easily trained dog after another. And this happened with River Valley Doodles. I think the first dog that we had from River Valley uh, was Neptune, who is a large, very sweet dog um, who we've actually done a bunch of commercial work with. Um, I'll link to more about Neptune in the show notes. Uh, and gosh, who else did we have? Then we had um, Bo, who um, is a golden doodle who belonged to a client who actually had an older golden doodle that they got from a different breeder and had had some issues with and specifically, uh, I think, sought out the best golden doodle breeder they could find. Uh, and then, gosh, off the top of my head, we had a dog named Bedford who was wonderful, Luna, Jewels. We've had uh, anyway. Um, we've just had a lot of great dogs from River Valley Doodles, and I thought, you know, this is a breeder who must be doing something right, or maybe uh, she's just really lucky. I didn't know. Um, but it was after we um, started getting all these doodles from River Valley, who were so great that at some point uh, I reached out to Sherry and said, "Please make sure to refer us if you have any uh, River Valley Doodle clients." 
in the New York City area because we love working with your dogs. So I think what you're about to hear um, will be really interesting to you if you're interested in golden doodles, of course, but also if you're just interested in why someone would become a breeder and what that involves. Now, I, I refer to golden doodles as a breed. I should say technically they're not a breed in that most people think about breeds as purebreds. Now, of course, all dogs have been bred from a variety of other kinds of dogs, so it's sort of a misnomer to call any dog a purebred dog or pure breed. But there are AKC registered breeds. Most of the breeds that you've heard of are AKC registered breeds, Scotties, Westies, Poodles, Corgis, etc. And um, every year some new breeds are welcomed in by the AKC. The Golden Doodles, and, and um, as far as I know, all the dogs that are Poos and Doodles, Cavapoos, uh, Sheepoos, Labradoodles, etc., have uh, more recently been called designer dogs, but I think all dogs are basically designer dogs in that they were created from two different kinds of dogs with different backgrounds, uh, genetic backgrounds, breeding, different crosses. Um, golden doodles are not considered a breed. Cavapoos, all these doodle poos are not considered official breeds. That doesn't, uh, in my experience, make them any less coveted. Uh, there are lots of reasons why people like to have these poodle mixes, and it's possible that one day they will be um, so sort of indoctrinated into our society, as into our <laughs> dog society, that they will be considered breeds, but um, at the moment they are not. And um, I mention this uh, mostly just because in this conversation we, we refer to uh, the dogs that Sherry breeds as uh, dogs of a certain breed. So I wanted to explain that they technically are not uh, a breed of dog. Also, I think that a conversation about breeding with a breeder who breeds dogs that are one of these AKC-acknowledged breeds would probably be a very different conversation Sherry, and we, we do touch on this a little bit, isn't breeding dogs that are meant to conform to a certain standard. Some of her golden doodles and uh, the other kind of doodles she breeds are larger than others, smaller, darker, lighter. Uh, they often have different kinds of uh, hair and fur. But because there is no breed standard, this is not an issue to her or to the people who buy dogs from her. Uh, breeds that are AKC registered breeds have breed standards, which means it's written down in a book. This dog needs to be uh, have ears of this kind and hair or fur of this kind and a nose that's shaped like this and ears that are shaped like this, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in order to uh, be uh, considered part of this breed, at least from what I understand, part of this breed that is good enough to continue the line of. Dobermans or Border Collies or whatever. Anyway, um, so those are just uh, some points that I wanted to mention, and um, I'm glad to be uh, sharing this conversation with you. Hi, I'm Sherry Mahan, and I am one of the owners of River Valley Doodles, which is a doodle breeder in Rochester, New York, and it's a family operation. And how long have you been 
the the mama at <laughs> the mama mama yeah mama C um probably the I puppy think mom six and a half years now almost seven so you breed golden doodles but also other kinds of doodles too right um mostly golden doodles mm -hmm. but we just started sheep doodles which is um sheep dogs and poodles okay and about how many puppies do you put into families a year would you say um Anywhere, probably around 50, mm -hmm. um, and we have been doing it for six or seven years, so we have quite a, quite a nice community. And how many, how many dogs do you have that are yours or dogs? Do you have dogs that are yours and dogs that you breed? Or Yes, yeah. So I have, um, everybody's a pet, so we don't have anybody in a kennel facility. Mm -hmm. um, everybody lives in one of our homes, so it is a family Affair. So there's seven of us. Um, everybody has a different number, but uh, I have three. Um, my mom has uh, eight, and the sisters are about that number too. So um, we really just try to manage, you know, who gets along the best with each other. And of course, you have to be careful about having males and females together with um, cycles and whatnot. Sure, so. sure. So how did how did you get into this this world? Um, it started out as just a small hobby to help my mother out. She wanted to um, retire, so she was a school bus driver, and she also painted houses. So you know, a lot of physical work um, that was just getting too much for her. So I got a golden doodle, and I was in love with him. And he's ten now. And I've always had rescues, and then I had um, a Great Dane and a couple of boxers. So having a golden doodle with, you know, not as much vacuuming was really a huge thing, but plus, you know, super smart and uh, just just a joy to have around. So I talked her into starting this as something to do, um, you know, to help supplement and, and help her into retirement. And it just, then all of a sudden the sisters got interested and involved and um, my two cousins. So everybody jumped on and took, you know, this in the very beginning was only just two foundation dogs. So this has grown quite a bit over the course of six, seven years. So, so how did, like, how do you start out? Like, okay, I'm going to breed dogs. Where do you get the first Adam and Eve dog? Um, well, I, I studied first. Uh, I read a bunch of books, just about everything I can get my hands on. You'd be surprised how much breeders know over vets when it comes to neonatal and understanding bloodlines because they were studying poodle bloodlines before, um, you know, anyone even understood differences of, you know, mixing European lines and American lines and inbreeding and things like that. Um, there's also a lot of breeder forums, and it's gotten better and better with, you know, the advent of more technology and social media um, where information is shared and anything that comes up that's an issue, it's, it's really, for the ones that are working hard to do a good job, they're really interested in issues that come up and how they can make you know, breeds better. Mm -hmm. So you really kind of had to give yourself like a mini education in genetics, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I think it's really, really, really important. Um, you, there's so many things that you can eliminate from your bloodlines if you just did a DNA test and tested for any diseases that are, that can be tested for that are inheritable. Um, you know, for example, PRA, progressive retinal atrophy. Um, if you breed a carrier to a carrier, 25% of your puppies are going to have eye issues. 
um, by the time they're five years old. And it's, you know, a $75 test, why wouldn't you do it Mm -hmm. um, to not just protect your bloodlines, but also protect your reputation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's something any breeder could be doing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. And a lot of breeders that are putting forth the effort to study and to be on the forums and to learn are starting to understand the importance of genetic testing. And they're really, really trying to push also the testing companies to start testing, having tests for more things that dogs could have. Um, You know, there's not a test for cancer, but I think the Embark test now covers 168 inheritable diseases amongst dogs. So you got your your mom involved and then your sisters and and cousins and nieces and nephews, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you were saying, before we started recording, you were saying that in your earlier life you had been very interested in rescues. Mm-hmm. Yep. So how did you make that transition and how do you... I, I, I ask because I think there are a lot of people listening who would be, probably be surprised by that. They think that rescue mm-hmm. and breeding are are and you know opposites of each other yeah um i started out working with rescues by doing transports um i also had adopted a couple of rescue dogs um they were young transports is transporting from like the south to yes yeah helping drive shelters right exactly okay but i also adopted a couple of rescue dogs and um they were great. I had a lot of fun with it, but it was really my first uh, dog without the family. And uh, I learned a lot. I went to the trainer. I went to training classes and um, things that I never did before with the family dog. Never actually went to training classes with the family dog. So um, it was a really, really great experience, but volunteering um, exposed me to you know some of the background on the rescues that um, kind of put a bad taste in my mouth about working with them. So, um, working with the rescue dogs or working with the rescue groups, rescue groups. Yeah. Um, and I felt sometimes they were misleading, um, on the rescue dogs and, you know, assessing personalities and things like that. Um, you know, I, for the most part, it's really, really, you know, well-intentioned people, but they, with that said, they want these dogs to have homes. So, they won't, you know, always be honest if a dog has a bite issue. So it's like probably been bit a dozen times by um, rescue dogs. And, you know, for me, it was just wasn't something I wanted to to work with between, you know, the, the people and also the heartbreak sometimes of, of, of the dogs in their situations. I can, I can appreciate that. I know as a trainer, I see often the extremes of either a rescue group or um, of a dog who, yeah, all the information isn't being disclosed or it's not necessarily a good match. Mm-hmm. Um, the dog maybe shouldn't be in the city. The dog shouldn't be in a home where the dog is going to be left alone or the dog has special needs and things aren't being disclosed because um, there's there's just eagerness to get the dog into a home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the owner falls in love with the dog and now has to become basically a dog trainer in order to Mm -hmm. deal with the dog's issues or has to, you know, embrace some serious lifestyle changes. Or on the other side is um, over, uh, like, too many many 
uh, hoops that they make an owner have to. I mean, I think I think that it's a bell curve, and there's lots of good rescues, right, good, right. good stories, like in the middle. But on the on the extremes, I'm talking about. You know, the other side is is um, rescues that set up so many um, so many hurdles mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, they, they don't want a home that doesn't have a yard or they don't want children or a home that has children or they don't want this, that, or the other where maybe the dog really would be better off, uh, especially when it's puppies. I often feel like the dog would probably be better off in a home rather than mm-hmm. in a kennel somewhere waiting for a home, even mm-hmm. if it's not, you know, the absolute perfect home that the rescue group is dreaming of. Mm-hmm. Um Better off getting them in some in a place early, um, but right. I and I and I've certainly seen plenty of dog owners, um, I'm, I'm, who've suffered from either side of the extreme and and uh, often who just end up you know going to a pet store. But mm-hmm. we didn't want to be on a waiting list with a breeder, and we we couldn't get a dog from a rescue and. Right. And so we just went for <laughs> you know we were at the, the city cute pups one at the pet and, store. Yeah. Yes. That's interesting. I didn't think about that, about why people buy at pet stores. Well, it's, uh, it's you're... quick and easy, and, and, uh, and I think you feel like, I mean, I, I got my dog at a, at a pet store. It was 14 years ago. I think it's not, it's not the choice I would make now, being, mm-hmm. you know, a, profession, a dog professional. <laughs> I mean, I, I know at the time that what I told myself, which I'm sure lots of people tell themselves, is this dog needs a home as much as any other dog needs a home. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I, I see that it's the, the problem is more that it's um, supporting an industry, not so much. It's not so much about the dog that I got mm-hmm. and the money I paid. It's it's a the problem is a, a larger problem having to do with an industry that's not necessarily treating animals right. Mm-hmm. But anyway. <laughs> um, but you were saying how we, we got sidetracked. You were talking about how you were working in rescue and then... Uh, yep, was working in rescue, um, raising a couple rescue dogs, having a lot of fun with it. And I think that was my, you know, aha moment of how uh, crazy dog person I was and how obsessed I could be, <laughs> come to be anyways with dogs. Um, certainly had family dogs growing up, but these were my dogs, so... Um, I went in all the way, and um, when they passed away, I actually got um, a couple of purebreds. I got a Great Dane. And what made, so what made you get a purebred after that experience, and did you go to a breeder's for those I dogs? did, yep. Um, I I wanted a really big dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really have always admired Great Danes, um, and he was great, um, but of course they don't live long enough. Um, I know it's being so sad. large breed. Yeah, how yeah. long did he live? Uh, eight years. Yeah, mm. I was hoping for a lot more than that, but uh, he was a great dog. But uh, that exposed me to um, the idea that pure breeds tend to be susceptible to certain diseases or issues within that breed. Mm-hmm. So. Um, the vet folder I had on him was probably five times the size of any, you know, mm. rescue, um, which were mixes, dogs. Um, and then my box are the same thing. I was always going to the vet. Um, and I don't think it was, you know, poor breeding um, or anything like that. I think it was just, just, it's, you know, things that run in the breed. I mean, you can't, 
you can't make the fat go away that a Great Dane, it's highly unusual and rare to live over 10 years old. Well, if you picked, I mean, even with humans, we've, there, there have been cases in humans of inbreeding, you know, um, basically any, any time you pick one thing, one criteria to, you know, one physical criteria to breed for, whether it's size <laughs> or eye color, or, I mean, if you, if you tried to breed, you know, humans that looked exactly like Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, by, by breeding, you know, closely related humans, eventually you would get weirdness, right? Right. Yeah. And isn't that kind of what's happening? I mean, the, the, the amount of inbreeding you need to get to get dogs of every generation that look the same as well. There are some breeds that have big issues with inbreeding, for example, poodles in the U.S., um, a lot of it's because people will want to breed with the same champion. So, you know, so-and-so won champion this, and that's the one stud that they want to to breed with. So, you know, X amount of poodles then will be bred with those um, lines and then, you know, bred to one that's super similar, and they have um, issues with inbreeding for sure. But they do also have reporting within the AKC section of poodles um, they have to report that percentage on their AKC records. Okay. Huh. That's interesting. I'm, I am concerned about confirmation um, for sure because there's a longevity to it as well. So, you know, a great example would be corgis, um, you know, stout bodies and short legs. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a lot of weight for those short legs to handle. And if you could be careful about how you breed a mommy and a daddy to, you know, work towards a good confirmation that has longevity to it, you know, that's, that has proportions, that's, that would, that's one of my goals is, you know, making sure that there's a decent confirmation in that aspect, but well, com- um, the con is, but not confirmation to a certain breed standard, right, because with right. doodles, there is no, there's standard. no breed standard, right. So, you know, I look for something like the sport body, but I don't, the con is, you know, when you have breeds that are breeding for, you know, really huge underbites and they love that, you know, like the bulldogs, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. these underbites, but then you get, they do it so much that then they have dogs that have trouble chewing, um, you know, or exacerbating something that isn't for the longevity of the dog is the con. That's purely for looks and looks, right. And uh, so when you chose Golden Doodles as a breed to, or an, I guess they're not technically a breed, but let's call it we'll a breed. call it one for now. <laughs> yeah. uh, when you chose Golden Doodles, was part of it that you were trying to stay away from purebreds or was it yes. just? Yep. Okay. Um, not that I don't love them because I do, I, you know, I love boxers and great Danes. I always have like a huge affinity for them. Um, certainly not. Longevity. I mean, boxers are known for bone cancer, Great Danes for all sorts of things. Um, but that's what got into my mind was, you know, I didn't have any issues with my rescue mixes when it came to vet and health. Um, so I started looking into what was this thing called hybrid vigor, and I learned an awful lot. There's a um, scientist that did um, studies on. Um, mixing wolves and poodles, and she did this whole study on all these different 
lines of generations. And it was really interesting. Wolves and poodles? Wolves and poodles, huh. yep. And another breed um, that I don't remember right now. Um, and she got some really, really interesting results because each line that she bred differently um, showed a different manifestation of the genes. So like F1 is what we would call 50-50, um, one parent being, we'll say golden retriever, one parent being poodle. You get a very consistent looking dog. It's very 50-50 if you were to run DNA. But if you were to run other lines, so let's just say an F1 to back to a poodle, you're going to have 75% poodle and 25% golden retriever. If you do the next line, which is called multi-gen, some call it F3, some throw in other numbers. Or do like F1 to F1. Yeah. Why is it F? Um, I've heard I, of F1, F2, F3, but I never know what the F is for. Um, familial, F-A-M-I-L-I-A-L. So it's, um, it's a terminology for breeding lines, oh, okay. you know, family. Um, so F1 to F1 would be like a golden doodle to a golden doodle? And, that, and then that would produce an F2? F, you got it. Okay. Yep, F2. Um, when you throw in the B, that means a back cross. Oh, okay. Um, to... Usually a poodle, but some will back cross to a golden retriever to get more retriever traits. But once you get into the multi-gen line, that's where really interesting things happen because you don't get consistency anymore. And you can get some that look more poodle within the same litter, look more poodle, and some that look more golden retriever. And if you were to run DNA, you're going to see slight differences, even though they have the same parents. Mm -hmm. um, and studies have shown that the very first generation, so the F1s, 50%, 50%, have the highest level of hybrid vigor because when you're mixing those lines of breeds, um, it's hard at that point to inherit issues that either one has because it's 50-50. But once you get one that leans more towards the other, 75%, we'll say, or 65%, they have a higher likelihood to take to um, have the issues that each breed would have. So what, how do you define hybrid vigor? I've never heard that term before. Uh, hybrid vigor means that your vet file is a lot smaller <laughs> when you have a mixed dog versus a pure health, dog. Is it just basically another way of saying healthier? Yes, yep, healthier. Um, I, I believe there's dozens of scientific studies done not just by this scientist but other scientists that have shown um, that hybrid breeder, like, I think it started with the vets saying, wow, this is amazing. We never see the mixes in here for anything. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're always seeing uh, Britney Spaniels for this. We're always seeing boxers for bone cancer. And once they start recognizing that pattern, they've started doing the studies, and it really has shown to be a thing, hybrid breeder. Um, so are all are your dogs then F1s? Um, no, it's all different. So we have... Um, a lot of breeders start with their foundation lines being F1s, golden retriever to poodle. And then the next one that they tend to, I would say, graduate to, but that's not the right word, move to, it would be F1B, and they'll back across to a poodle because people asking for these dogs want the non-shedding as much as possible, and F1s will lightly shed. Some will even... Isn't it true that all dogs shed? shed? That it is no true. such yep. thing as a totally yep. non-shedding dog? Yeah, no such thing as a hypoallergenic dog. There is no such thing as a non-shedding dog. Um, 
whether they have hair or fur, something's going to fall off of mm-hmm, them. So. Mm-hmm. And some people also are allergic to like the dander or the saliva. Or the saliva, right. Yeah. So whenever I have somebody asking and they mentioned, uh, you know, my son has allergy issues, my husband has allergy, allergy issues, and, you know, that's why we want one of these dogs, I would say, wait a minute. <laughs> I, as soon as I see on an application that allergies are an issue in the house and that's why they want the dog, we have a conversation. Um, and I see how severe the allergies are. And I've also tried to gauge um, a person's, a family's propensity to handle light allergies because most of us are allergic to something. You know, mm-hmm. dogs bring in dirt, so um, could be allergic to something like that. Um, if I hear it's severe allergies, I pretty much tell them don't get a dog. <laughs> um, not even a poodle uh, because it could be allergic to a poodle. With that said... I have had, I think in six, seven years now, only one return because of allergy issues. And there was a four-year-old in the house that they didn't know was severely allergic. And they had one that was 75% poodle, Mm -hmm. an Mm -hmm. F1B. So it was a very, very um, big surprise for all of us. And it was a terrible situation for all of us, including the puppy, to get bounced around. Um, The four-year-old's, you know, daughter cried. Mm. You know, the puppy course, had, yeah. you know, was behind then all of a sudden three, four weeks on training because, you know, he got well, bounced. And So, well, one thing that I tell people about choosing a breeder, I'd, I'd, lo- I'd love to get some thoughts from you on, on how people can vet a breeder. But one thing I tell people is you, you should have a breeder that's willing to take a dog back no matter what at any time in its life. Would you, would you say that that's... I would say that that's true. For the most um, part. For the most part, um, I wouldn't say that's always fair to the breeder, though. Um, it's not the breeder's fault if you didn't get a trainer in the very beginning. It's not the breeder's fault if you didn't well, socialize. I don't mean that it's the breeder's fault if, if anything goes wrong with your dog, but that it seems to me like most breeders would want to have their dog back before they have a dog put into a shelter or absolutely. Like mm-hmm. that's that's um, what I would what I would. That's always what I've done and what I would do um, mm-hmm. because we've definitely had um, people that called and said, wow, we didn't realize how hard it was to raise a puppy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what do we do? And then I'll take the puppy back and, you know, find a home. With that said, I, we haven't been, it's only been six or seven years, but if somebody called me and said, I have a 12-year-old dog that's biting people, mm. um, you know, and yeah, I got to take the dog back, but is it fair for me? Right, right. You know, I didn't have the dog for 12 years. Right, right. I, you know, I didn't... I didn't have that. So it's, it's, I think for the most part, yes, absolutely. Something that a breeder should do, especially when you're talking about the first couple of years of a puppy's life, they should have a concern for their puppies, you know? So, so. where did, where did you get your first dogs then? Um, a little breeder, um, up in upstate New York, um, Willow Green, and then, um, Utah Annie's puppies is the uh, the cheap doodle line, so we we really love them. And they agreed that it was okay if you if you breed their dogs or yeah. So we have the conversation in advance, and we actually pay additional fees. So we pay breeding rights fee. And what about your dogs? Are your dogs? Do you, people have to sign something saying they're not going to breed your dogs? I do, um, and it's not. Some people, you know, might think that's a competition thing, and that's not it for me. It's more. I want people to do it with eyes, like educated and eyes. Just don't think like, oh, it's easy. I'm going to breed these dogs together and just get these cute puppies and sell them for X amount of dollars. Like, right. Well, I, I definitely have- want to talk about what it, what's actually involved in, in breeding <laughs> puppies. But 
how would you define different kinds of breeders? I've heard the term backyard breeders, Mm -hmm. um, commercial breeders. How would you define yourself and other kinds of breeders? Um, So backyard breeders are, in my definition, somebody that doesn't know much about breeding or the breeds that they're working with and says, oh, I want to try to make a little extra money. I'm going to breed my dog with the neighbor's dog or my aunt's dog um, without learning much about either breed um, or about genetics and DNA. Mm -hmm. Um, Commercial breeding, industrial or puppy mills, um, large-scale kennels, I'll say, which aren't necessarily puppy mills. Um, In most of our views, they probably are, but um, they might still take very good care of the dogs Mm -hmm. and still be a large kennel. They just have a ton of employees helping them out. Um, You know, it wouldn't be my choice of of a breeder to go to, but um, for some people, it's it's you know it's a lot of options, and it gets them a dog now. They don't have to wait. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this mid level, I would say, that does like a lot of dogs that are in homes, and you know whether their system is that they have guardian homes. Would, and, is this how you would define yourself? Yes. Yeah. There's quite. A, I would say this is where the majority lie, though. Um, you know, we hear the bad stories about the puppy mills and. Um, everybody gets their options, usually from the large uh, industrial kennels, we'll call them. Um, but the ones that are really interested in learning about the breeds and, and seem to be also thinking about socialization and making connections with their customers are the mid-level um, type breeders, hobby breeders. So would you con- would you consider yourself a hobby breeder? I would, yes, okay. I'm a hobby breeder. <laughs> um, and you said that there is regulation then. You, you get visited by, by the state? Uh, in New York State, there's regulation on breeders. And you have to apply for a license and you get inspected several times a year without notice. Um, so in New York State, they, they have that program, which is really great because there's also, um, they have standards for the care of adults and puppies in the house and, um, or kennel. And um, it's, it's everything from you have to have bleach on hand to clean, the dog food has to be in closed containers, puppies can't be sitting in poop, um, animals have to have an exercise plan. Um, it includes cats too, that's, I said animals, so mm-hmm. if people are breeding cats, you also have to have this license. If you breed more than, um, and sell more than 25, nine to 25 puppies a year, um, depending on where you fall at within there with other regulations is depends on if you have to have this license or not in mm-hmm. New York State. So I think it's really been great for um, New York breeders, even though it's, you know, a little bit of a pain. You're going to deal with the paperwork mm-hmm. and people randomly showing up. Um, it really, really, I think, has helped keep puppy mills down in New York State. So in are, other states don't are have Are there that. red flags? Are there things people should look for? to know that they shouldn't contact a specific breeder if they're if they're doing a search that could could tip them off to it being a puppy mill? Um, Are there certain states people should avoid? Yeah, there's actually a puppy mill state list, if you Google it, that comes up with the top states for puppy mills. Um, Pennsylvania and Missouri, off the top of my head, are, are, are right up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say all of the Amish listings um, are 
puppy mills, um, but they have been red flags certainly for not having proper care of their animals. Um, if I see an ad that says, you know, no calls on Sunday, that sort of a, is a red flag to me. So, okay, well, um, you know, is this an Amish or Mennonite that, you know, can't take calls on Sundays that... By and are, large, they have a bad rap in the, in the breeding they world. They do, especially Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, it's, it's been in the news quite a bit for um, the Amish Mennonite community in that area having puppy mills and just you know, deplorable conditions. My stomach's actually turning thinking about some of it. Um, it's interesting that that's a community that has taken on that industry and and not doing it well. Yeah, I've heard of some, um, you know, I've, I've met a lot of great dogs that came from, you know, Amish or Mennonite families, and I've heard of people have been there and that they had a great experience, um, but I personally don't, you know, probably have the capability to go digging through their barn to see what they're hiding um, to make a judgment on that. So I said, why bother mm -hmm. even going to any of them? Um, One thing I, I've told... Uh, Dog owners is a red flag as if if a breeder wants to uh, meet you in a parking lot or meet you halfway on, on the highway. Yeah, that's interesting. So um, it, se it seems to me like you want to be able to go to a breeder's home, see where the puppy was raised, meet the meet the dog's parents if possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand that. Um, and so if you can do that, great. I would – there was um, – a good friend of mine was actually um, – murdered and they answered a puppy ad that she had and they came to her house and murdered her and um what? stole all her puppies yeah oh my god um in so, new york uh no no um and you can google it, it probably yeah. comes right up um so this and is, there's many breeders so this is some, like a reason why you wouldn't want someone to come to your home right and there's breeders now on the breeder forums that are starting to complain about you know, people being really strange and showing up at the house and, you know, there's people that have had dog or dogs and puppies stolen. Um, it's, it's, I totally get it, but I would, I would also understand if a breeder wasn't comfortable um, with having you come to their home or it's, it's, it's a tough balance. I mean, I don't have a great answer wow, for well, no, it. No, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that side of it. Yeah, it's and it's it's getting worse, and I I don't know if it's because of you know Craigslist is actually having active like I don't know people that buy puppies on Craigslist, but apparently it's a thing, and you don't have to prove that you own the dogs at all. You have no relationship with that person. You call them up and you buy the puppy and they disappear, um, but they could have stolen them, and it's 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 a real thing that's happening, um, and breeders are starting to get. Um, more scared. The other thing is um, if you have small puppies in the household, they're very, very susceptible to getting parvo or lepto or any colds or flus that people hmm. can bring in on their hands or shoes. And it's right. a real thing. I, I could probably, I'm like 50% of my breeder friends have had so young how, puppies that died and they had people visit the house. Do you have people come to your home then or how, how do you... I do, but here's where I think that breeders could get um, better, I guess, more comfortable about it. I have an application, and you have to fill it out before I'll even call or email. And it's a little bit of work, 
but address, name, phone number, and you really, really get to know um, their thought process. And, and, and if people were coming to steal the puppies, they're probably not going to spend the time. It probably takes a good hour to fill out my application. Um, there's easier easier targets than somebody that makes you fill out an application before they'll even get a hold of you. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, it, gets, it lets me get to know them. And I think, you know, if they're willing to share their home information, I'm going to share my home information with them. But mm-hmm. I don't have, you know, my address or phone number on my website. I don't, I don't feel safe doing that do at have, all. Do you have like security cameras in your home? I did two years ago when um, this happened to my friend. I installed security cameras at the house. Um, it's, 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 it's scary. I hadn't thought about the, that, the Craigslist puppy thing that you're talking about, but that, mm-hmm. that's certainly one reason to avoid buying puppies on Craigslist, although I could think of some other reasons, but, right. um, uh, wow. So, um, it, it almost needs like, there needs to be like a, 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 a another place where people can meet the puppies, like a. YMCA or right, like a yeah, <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. But you also bring puppies to people's homes. Yes, mm-hmm. yep. Um, I usually give people the option you can either you know come visit, or we'll do an a delivery option. Um, so many people have met us by now that if you get a referral from your sister that met us and came to the house mm-hmm. and saw everybody. Um, you're probably you're not more an likely to just get yeah. You're more than likely to say I'll take a delivery. And um, your your puppies usually have waiting lists, right? Usually, yes. For, yeah. Right. Yeah. So what's like a typical wait that somebody might have to expect to to have to get one of your puppies? Uh, we used to be two years, and that managing those lists drove me crazy. So I stopped doing that, and I said, and I know most breeders here in New York State, anyways, um, are doing wait lists out a year or two. And um, I said, I can't, I just can't manage it because things would happen. Mother nature would happen. And instead of six puppies that were expecting, maybe only one was born or maybe mm-hmm. a breeding didn't work out. And then I was calling people that were on the list and I would have people crying or mad that, you know, things didn't work out. And it just it kept breaking my heart to say, you know, something didn't work out. And they prepared, you know, they went and bought stuff and were, the kids were excited and you you know, you had this wait list that you managed that didn't work out for them. So now I only do um, the season before, so a couple of months. When I'm pretty sure somebody is pregnant and we're going to have um, puppies, I'll start a list. Mm-hmm. So the wait period right now is, you know, two to six months. And the cost is around three $3,000? Is that about right? It depends, yeah. Um, anywhere from two to three. Um, our mini lines are more than our large standards. Okay. Another thing, and you can tell me what, what you think of this suggestion that I give to people, is that if you are talking to a breeder and they're willing to haggle with you about the price, that that's probably a bad sign. Because it seems to me, and again, I've never raised puppies, but it seems to me like the profit margin for a good breeder is not huge. Yeah, It costs a lot to do I it right. I have no idea how these you know, I see the listings, you know, Greenfield Puppies, which is a puppy mill uh, broker listing for Lancaster area. And they do a ton of puppy listings and like $800, $500. I'm like, I have no idea how they do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, between like the healthcare for the parents, if you're feeding good dog food, good puppy food, um, if you're having people help you clean and you're keeping, you know, everything as clean as you can, um, expensive. You certainly break it down by the hour. It's like 
pennies. Um, so I have no idea how they're doing right, any of right. that. You know, health testing too. And if you're being uh, ethical and paying for breeding rights, like you should, um, it's, it's, it's very, very costly. Um, I think, uh, well, my, you, like you said, you're, you're a hobby breeder. I think of it like, like my aunt who, I mean, I imagine it's kind of like my aunt who, uh, is a knitter and worked at a knitting store to help pay for her hobby of knitting. The hobby of knitting. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's how I feel sometimes that the hobby pays for my, my dog life. <laughs> yes. My dog fun. Um, but yeah, it's, it's far more expensive than people realize if you're doing it in a way that, um, I wouldn't say that is good, but is premium. So, mm -hmm. you know, good food, good health care. Um, I have been to the emergency room a few times with neonatal puppies, and I'm just so upset about them being sick or something. I would be like, here, take my money. And they're just shocked because they don't ever see um, a lot of neonatals, you know, puppies under six weeks old because breeders don't bring them in. Um, so if you have a breeder that's willing to... Um, they just let them die? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that's a whole part of breeding that I can't I can't imagine handling. I mean, if you're breeding puppies, some puppies are going to die, right? And you have some to, puppies are going to die. Yeah. yeah. There's a percentage, um, it was 12% or I think it's 12 or 12, 12, 12 I don't know. I saw this percentage of um, you know, how many puppies die and you know, within the first couple of weeks and it's, you know, it's, it's a real number. I always thought, you know, we're not going to be that number. We're never going to have that. And, um, you know, things happen. You have yeah. puppy born, you know, coming out backwards and doesn't get, you know, the air. Um, yeah. What's that like for you? Um, it's really hard not to get emotional about it. Um, yeah. I actually recently had uh, a puppy get ammonia at three, four weeks old and it was on it was terrible. I took her to an emergency and I was sick to my stomach and um, I had her there and I just felt so helpless. I didn't feel like they were helping me there. And I was like, take my money, fix my puppy. Like, and she had ammonia um, and she she passed away in, in two, three days. And um, I, I'm, I'm still upset about it. And it was, it's, you know, it's, it's been almost a month now. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, it doesn't get easy. It really, it's, it doesn't get easier. Um, it's, you know, it's an issue. It's, I guess it's, if they're, if they're also one that you see that, you know, opens up their eyes and has a soul and, you know, is ready to take on the world, that's way harder than, um, stillborn. I mean, not that, that still isn't hard. Um, but it's, it, it's not easy. I actually, I, that's when I quit. I just tell my mom and my sisters, I'm like, I quit. I can't do this. Um, and it's, it's the toughest part. Mm. Do you deliver the puppies yourself? Do you have a vet there? How does that work? Um, yep. We do ourselves. Um, if it's, you know, my mom does hers and my sisters do theirs, but yeah, yeah, we don't do the, the vet. Um, no, 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 it's not standard. Nobody really does. If you have issues, then you, then you go into the vet. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a very natural process for them. The aspect that, um, their hormones kick in and they, they have these natural instincts to take care of the puppies like very quickly. Um, it's, it's, if there's issues, you can go into the vet and get C-section and, and, mm -hmm. um, maybe have some help with, with bringing on contractions, but, um, it's different for dogs. Right. It's, it's, you know, of course you're having 
we'll say four to seven versus one. Um, but it's not, you know, what we see of, of humans having dogs. Well, even a step before that, talk to me about how, how we get them pregnant. (laughs) Is that, is it all artificial insemination at this point? Is there like a, a a sperm trade business? (laughs) There is actually. Yeah. Uh, if you have a little daddy dog, um, you should always have a bigger mommy than a daddy. Um, but if you have a little, that, little that daddy, makes sense. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> if you have a little, little daddy, then you should probably do artificial insemination so you don't uh, hurt the little daddy. And um, there, there are you don't you don't set up stools. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> yep. Uh, and artificial insemination is exactly what you think it is. Um, maybe TMI, but you know, turkey baster type things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the vet can do that for you, or sometimes breeders uh, know how to do it themselves. I don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it depends on what size you're, you're, you're aiming for with your puppies. Mm-hmm. Um, dogs are different in that they don't have cycles every month. They either have a cycle um, every six months, it could be every eight months, or it could be once a year. Um, so they, that is also the only time that they can get um, pregnant. They cannot get pregnant in between there. So... Um, it's a very, very limited window of just a few days a year. Mm-hmm. And do some of your dogs then conceive naturally? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. If they're about the same size, they conceive naturally. And so just um, put them in a room together and yes. some, uh, some nice music. And That's exactly <laughs> what we do. Yep. Um, and the... I don't know how other other breeders' daddy dogs are, but our daddy dogs are very considerate gentlemen. So... <laughs> It's romantic for them. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I must uh, know. Well, so we have like Winston, my mom's uh, she- mini sheepadoodle. Um, he's like a mini medium size, about 35 pounds. And he's such a lover. <laughs> and he's just going to, you know, make out first before, Aww. you know, they have to go on a date and they have to play a little bit. And he sort of courts her and they make out first. And it's, it's really cute. Aww. Yeah. So after they're born, what's like, what's the next step? What are the first, I mean, usually people get their dogs. Do you, do you have a a certain age, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks? Yep. Usually eight to 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, how, how are those first like eight weeks they broken up for you? Yeah, this is actually really interesting that, um, to talk to you with because I always wonder like where trainers come up with some stuff. So People will ask me, um, you know, what's a personality trait? And they'll ask me when the puppy's like three weeks old. And I'm like, well, that puppy hasn't done anything yet. Like, <laughs> you know, and yeah, <laughs> sleeps and maybe waddles around a little bit, maybe. And then right around four weeks, they start waddling around a little and playing and they learn their voices, but they still can't see you all the way. Mm-hmm. Like they'll look at you and you can tell they sort of look over your shoulder or something. And, um, you know, five weeks old, they're starting to become you know, what I call real. And by six weeks, I'm like, finally, you're like a real puppy. You're not a hamster or a gerbil anymore. And, you know, I'll have people that we're, I'm talking with, you know, they're interested in the puppies and they'll ask me questions such as, you know, well, how much potty training, you know, do you, do you have? And it's like, well, they really only poop and pee by themselves before they go home for about three weeks with us. So mommy helps them in the beginning. And, uh, Licks their butts, cleans them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, you know, we do the best we can, but it's, we only have like this three week period mm-hmm. that, um, we can, we can work on them with that. And it's, 
Luckily, they have a lot of natural instincts to to want to be clean, so that really helps with with potty training naturally. But um, we also have a balance of trying to be um, considerate with their health. So uh, it's not safe always for puppies to be outside. So to say, oh yeah, we're gonna you know have them fully potty trained outside by eight weeks old. Um, you know, might not be practical, especially if it's February or January. Well, so. also, your outside is not necessarily the outside of the home that they're going to. You right. Know, like your dog might, your dogs might be house trained to go on the grass in your yard, but that's not necessarily going to translate yep. on the streets of New York City. I, yeah. That's something that I have to tell dog owners a lot. A like lot. You, you yeah. want a house trained puppy, but you want a trained puppy, but it's not going to be trained to your home. Go down the cement yeah. or, right. right. Yeah. Or anything in your home. I mean, unless. You train it to understand what life is like in your home. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, there. So the first few weeks you were saying, are yeah, the first few weeks they don't really do much of anything. And how how much care do you have to give them, or is the mom kind of doing everything? Uh, for the, the moms first, pe- first few weeks. Yep, mom's usually doing most of it. Um, my job is to sit there and to play with them and pet them and make sure that they they are nursing. Mm-hmm. If they're not nursing, then um, we have to bottle feed, and if you know, one looks to be like, you know, not doing so well. We have to be bottle feeding every two hours. We have to really be on top, which could get really exhausting. But So um, what do you do when you go to work? Do your sisters pitch in or yep, can they be alone yep. for sometimes yep. parts of the day? Yep. If we have puppies, our husband pretty much don't leave um, if they're, you know, under four weeks old. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything could happen. I mean, once or twice we've had puppies, even though they're four weeks old, you know, that got sat on by the mom. Mm-hmm. So pretty much don't leave no trips, vacations, or anything. So yeah. um, you've got, you know, very, very limited time period. You can put a camera on them, but it doesn't take long to accidentally sit on a puppy and <laughs> yeah. suffocate. So do they, do you give them each alone time? I've heard, I've heard of that as something that's suggested. Is, um, that, is that, is that a truth? Do you mean the mommies or the puppies? The puppies. Um, if, if I have them longer than eight weeks, I will start to do things like that. Um, when they're puppies, I do things like play with their ears and their paws. Um, like handling. Yeah. Handling them as much as possible. I'll play music. Um, once in a while I'll bang things. I'll even vacuum, vacuum near them mm-hmm. so they can get used to those noises. Well, I uh, think, I think just having them in your home, in your, you know, living room or wherever, right. basically, like even if you're not purposefully doing that kind of stuff, just the sound of the refrigerator opening and yep. and then people coming in and out and the telephone ringing, all of that's invaluable. Right? Yep, yep. And they're, they're also learning from each other at that time, learning how to play, learning how to, um, what, what pain points are because mm-hmm. they can be pretty rough with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they start to learn anyway is bite inhibition. So mm-hmm. it's really great that they, they have that playtime with, with one another too. Um, alone time, if I have a puppy that I'm, you know, working on a little bit for somebody, um, I'll do in the evening for just a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, when they're eight weeks and under, it's, it's just trying to get different experiences for them that are still safe. Do you ever take them out, out of your home? I will have them in the yard if it's nice weather. Mm-hmm. Um, I get nervous though now a days taking them even to the vet, um, Parvo is a huge issue, and it's very contagious. It's just like the flu. I mean, you can mm-hmm. anybody could have it on their hands and touch a puppy or have it on their clothes, mm-hmm. and, and they get it. Um, so I'm very nervous about taking young puppies anywhere. 
if I'm keeping one longer, I wait till after at least second set of shots. Mm -hmm. So that usually tends to be around 10, 12 weeks old. Mm -hmm. Which kind of goes a little bit against what, you know, some trainers say. Some trainers well, are like, get the puppy out immediately. It's a you fine know? line. What we suggest, which is the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior suggestion, is getting them out early after their, uh, 10 days after their first round of shots, but to do it thoughtfully, like, mm -hmm. and to avoid places that are heavily trafficked by dogs, unless, you know, like, we sanitize specifically mm -hmm. for puppies in our space before every puppy That's session. That's good to know. But, yeah. but Petco's not doing that doing yeah. in the aisles right and even vet offices aren't doing that every hour no there's no way they are um so i suggest to people like if you should bring your puppy out but most of the time they should be carried they should be in mm -hmm. a bag um if you are going to put your puppy down on the street um which i i suggest you should be you know making sure they're not licking things and you should wash their paws as soon as you come inside you should take off your shoes when you come inside wash mm -hmm. your hands when you come inside so it's, I, I suggest early so socialization before the second round of shots, but with a lot of caveats, I mm -hmm. guess. Yep. I do the same for people. I was just telling um, someone about, you know, always carry the puppy in a bag or a case or something yeah. so they can see things and do not put your puppy down on the floor at the vet and do not put your puppy on the table if you haven't seen them disinfect it. Yeah. So, and I've said if trainers... For, I think for, a lot of dogs get sick in the waiting room of the vet's office. Yeah, that's usually yeah. where they get parvo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if trainers don't ask for group training, don't ask for your vaccination records, they're not asking anybody else. Sure. So yeah. don't use those ones. I think... I think the best solution is bringing your dog out in a bag. You mm -hmm. know, yep, because you're you're protecting them but you're still exposing them to the sights and the sounds and everything that you want them to be, yeah. to get used to. What are what are other breeder responsibilities would you say? Um, you know, I would say the thing that especially that kind of um makes my heart sink, I guess, when I'm thinking about puppy mills. This is really I think, you know, the reason why you should pick a breeder um, that has some thought process and care in their program because it's not just the puppies they care about, it's the adults. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, I got, you know, a puppy from, but I didn't, you know, they have a barn full of puppies. And, you know, I was like, well, you know, the parents could be, you know, stacked up in a bunch of cages mm. in the barn. And um, it's, so as a breeder, like, I feel like, you know, one of my number one things is it, are the adults and, I actually had the vet recently ask me, you know, if you had to make a choice, you know, if there was a, a labor, a dog having puppies that was going bad, you know, do you want to save the mom or do you want to save the puppy? And, um, you know, my heart started, I was twisting and I'm like, I want my dog, you know, and I know, you know, a lot of birds are like, I want my money, I want the puppy. And yeah, for me, yeah. it's like, I want my dog. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a parent care adult dog care is is huge um mm -hmm. you know it's it's proper nutri nutrition making sure they have their vet visits um are they on monthly heartwarmer because all of all those things also build immunity system of the puppies mm -hmm. so you have to have um really good records too to keep in track of who's who's due for what mm -hmm. um if someone's looking for a dog do you suggest that they call rescue groups first shelters i do think they should go to a breeder first what, what's your yeah good question um i think that they should call um around for rescues first and visit the shelter are there um like doodle rescue groups 
Yep, there's um, there's doodle rescue groups. Um, there's not many, and I believe the primary one has a lot of rules and regulations. So you have to have a fenced-in yard, I believe. Um, kids can't be under the age of five in the household. Um, you have to have carpeted stairs, things like that, that are good for thinking about, you know, the safety of a puppy or a dog, um, but also they don't want these dogs to be rehomed again. And I would say the few times I've had dogs rehome, it's almost always people that have kids in the house because, you know, they don't understand like how hard it is puppies and kids together. Mm -hmm. those, those puppy teeth and, mm -hmm. you know, kids don't have any idea yet of personal space, mm -hmm. you know, on the dogs. And so you would suggest going rescue and, and, first and sort of seeing what's out there? Yep, see what's out there. I mean, because you never know, like, what you're looking for mm -hmm. might be available. Um, I wouldn't say that it's often exactly what you're looking for will be available, but, I mean, why not take a look first? Why be in a rush? Mm -hmm. um, you do have to, um, you know, have a conversation with the rescues about temperament, you know, and, and perhaps even why the dog's, you know, in a rescue. Um but if, if something's there that you're looking for, I mean, certainly go that route before. I mean, we don't, we don't want to fill shelters. What about shipping puppies? Is that something that you do, or do you think it's not a good idea? Um, I don't. I, I just don't see the reason why when you could come on a plane and take your puppy back with you, um, and then you get to meet me, and I get to meet you. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think that it's very questionable of what's going on in the cargo or the belly of the plane. And um, I, I don't think I've ever shipped a puppy. I, for me, it's just like, my, I mean, I get emails from people like, oh, I live in Brazil, you know, I'll send you money immediately if you send me a puppy. And I'm like, no, like, I don't need to send mm -hmm. my puppies out of the country either. Mm -hmm. So, And when people, people give you applications, are there things on the application that make you be like, no way, Jose? So my application is stacked towards trying to get people to understand how hard it is for a puppy. So I'll ask questions like, are you able to take the first week off of work when you get a puppy? Um, that doesn't totally you know, rule you out if you can't, but if you tell me you have a plan to take care of the puppy the first week and to help you know, introduce the puppy to you, um, I'm more open-minded to it. I just don't want to you know, hear like, no, I can't make any sacrifices for getting a brand new puppy. Um, the other thing is, like, do you really have the capability to exercise a puppy or dog at least four times a day? And those are answers that I that I really listen to. And if I hear, we just want a puppy that, you know, just snuggles with on the couch, you know, I will say, you know, I just don't think it's going to work. Mm -hmm. um, and and you have a waiting list, so you can be a, you can right. afford to, to pick and choose, I guess. Yeah, that's really, really helpful because I've thought, I'm in other breeder forums and I, I hear from other breeders complaining about the people that got their puppies and I have to say like it's it does matter if you have the you know the ability you have other people waiting so you can say no um do you see yourself continuing doing this good question um and my family is like my mom and my sisters my two cousins are super interested and and you know they don't um they don't deal much with the people part. Um, are I do you, are most you of like that. The, the face of I'm River the people Valley. person. Where did yeah. the name River Valley come from? Is that um, my mom? Where she lives, she has Genesee River in the back okay. of her, so she lives in kind of like a little valley. Yeah, 
um, I, I, my heart gets broken really easy. And, um, I, I, it's, I quit all the time. I can't do this anymore. You know, if, if, if a puppy, you know, dies or, um, but yeah, I quit all the time. I, I, not quitting right now, but, uh, three weeks ago I quit. I was, you know, upset a couple weeks ago. Um, so that's interesting. I mean, that as an outsider, I would guess that losing puppies would be the thing that would push me over the edge. And it seems like that's, that's not so far from. Yeah. I think the people part can make a lot of breeders want to quit too. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe not necessarily luckily with doodles. I, I really think we've, we get people that, um, are looking for a specific type dog, but you know, Brottweiler breeders might have other you, types of people. Do you think? I mean, it seems like that there's a doodle craze that's not going anywhere. It seems like uh, have you seen a, a, an expanded interest in in doodles? Because like at school for the dogs, I would say half of our dogs are either French bulldogs or doodles. Oh, I'm guessing. really? Interesting. Um, I haven't seen it slow down at all. Um, I actually think people are starting to get more interested in different types of doodles. Um, Woodles, you know, Wheatons and Poodles, um, you know, different, anything based off of a poodle mix, people are really getting interested in. The demand is there particularly in urban areas because you can get a size that makes sense for Mm -hmm. where you're living. Um, And also, you know, you don't have to worry a ton about shedding. I wouldn't say no shedding. Um, and you, for, for the most part, like they're happy go lucky puppies that really adjust well to the city. Mm-hmm. And so these people go to the dog park and they're chit chatting with everybody else there and comparing notes. And then next thing you know, the person that you talk to wants a golden doodle too, or, um, you know, another type doodle mix. So I think it's, it's, it's the nature of like people meeting people that they like their dogs of. And they're good apartment dogs by and large. Yep. Yeah. yeah, good apartment and good city dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, I'm, it shocks me. It's just so, I have breeder friends actually, they're like, I can't believe you sell um, your puppies to people in the city. It's terrible for your puppy to be raised in the city. I'm like, those are the best owners. They take their dogs everywhere and they go out to the dog parks and dogs have such great lives. They go do weekend trips. And yeah, yeah. so I, I, I think it's great. I always say also if your if your dog can make it here, they can make it anywhere, right? Because right. they're getting exposed to such a wide variety of sounds and sights and people and experiences. Yeah. If you go from that to like living behind a white picket fence, you're you're better off doing that than in the other direction of a dog who, you know, has like suburban dog syndrome of right. never seeing other dogs or people or rarely. Yeah. Um, yeah, another red flag. Mm-hmm. You mentioned sub- suburbs. Um I added the question Somebody wrote an article that was really good. Um, I'll send it to you. But she basically was saying that suburban dogs, she felt, were abused because mm-hmm. sometimes it's families. Um, oftentimes their kids are in multiple sports. So they go to work all day and then they go to the kids' sports and then they come home and basically the dog's been home all day long. It's just like a piece of furniture. Piece of furniture, hasn't had any exercise, hasn't had any engagement. And um, that is a, another red flag that I look for. Yeah. You know, it's. Do, you, do your kids play a lot of sports? If the answer is yes, what's your plan for the dog? So it, 
it's 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 terrible oh, to, to think like that's great they live in a nice you know maybe they live in a nice beautiful big home in a great neighborhood with a great big backyard it doesn't mean the dog's taken care of interesting do people um want to pay more to have a dog that's like already trained they do um quite a bit but i am i'm constantly having the conversation in the beginning that a puppy even after a month of of training is not a trained puppy mm-hmm. puppy doesn't go home and isn't this perfectly trained puppy of course um, not which is just, hard for people to understand yeah. because i i've i was just having this conversation with an owner where i said you know training it's not it's not one thing it's not mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like saying well i want a kid who's educated like well what is that what does that mean to you right and you know you know the breeder could be training the dog in, in the breeder's home, but that doesn't mean that it's any of it is necessarily going to translate right. to your home. Right. Yeah. And I'm constantly educating on that. It's, it's, I never make any promises. We can get them started on some things, um, but you have to get a trainer. And I always tell everybody, it's like, please, please have one come to your house, your home, your apartment, whatever, and do group classes because that puppy is going to bond with you when you're in those group classes. That's when the puppy focuses on you and, you know, the puppy doesn't even know you until then, that moment, that bonding moment. So In the group classes? You in group classes, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I just feel like just because, you know, you had a puppy at boot camp or something for two, four weeks before you got the puppy, um, you and the puppy need to train together. Mm-hmm. Anything that we haven't hit on that, that you think is worth mentioning? Um, I think that... I understand why people go to the different um, different platforms you can go to to get a puppy. Um, definitely, you know, think long and hard about why you want a puppy. Um, they're not easy. And if somebody tries to, you know, push a puppy on you, why? Um, it's something to really, really think hard about because you are responsible for making that puppy. We can say it's the breeder's responsibility, it's the bloodlines, the temperaments, and things like that. But, you know, in reality, the breeder only has from the time that they're kind of hearing and seeing to the time that they go home, which could be, you know, three, four weeks. And I always tell everyone, it's like, you're the one that's going to make your puppy. Like, yeah, I'm going to give you the base, but you could easily mess it up. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's it's a huge responsibility. But the other thing is, uh, you know, buying a puppy from a pet store. So I don't. We don't sell any of ours to pet stores. Um, we know the people. We get applications for people. We know the people where we are sending our puppies. Um, that's my choice. That's our choice. It's, it's our family. We want to know who's getting our puppies, and we want to make sure they're well taken care of. I don't want to say it's. It's bad for any breeder to sell their puppies to a pet store. I would just say, why? Like, don't you want to know the people that are getting your puppy? Don't mm-hmm. you have that little extra care concern about where the puppy's going? Um, you might have a great, and maybe the answer is you have a great relationship with the pet store owner, and there's some really great pet store owners. Um, well, it, it seems like from everything you're saying, and like I said, from my suspicion of it just being expensive to raise a puppy, that considering the price that people pay at pet stores, if there's some kind of figure, it's a 50% markup. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm guessing there. But it would mean that the breeders has to be doing a lot of volume in order to be making any money right, at all. Right, to do that pricing. Are there, are there 
other than that, are I mean, are there good sites online that people can look at? Are there sites that are basically online puppy mills that you know of? Um, it's a good question. I don't know. Um, I think that you can find good breeders on some of the um, curated aggregate type sites, um, but you have really got to dig and... Um, it's definitely helpful if they have some type of presence, if they have a website or a Facebook, you know, or Instagram. Um, a lot of them aren't, you know, they don't have the skills to do a website, so they do a Facebook page group. Um, it's, it's really not that hard to message somebody that follows their Facebook group that maybe got a dog from them and ask, mm-hmm. you know, oh, how yeah. was your experience? And same thing with tip. Instagram. Yeah. I get people all the time like, oh, I asked so-and-so on Instagram about you. Um, and I think like the fact it's that a we good have, idea. it's a great idea. Yeah, please. Like if I, if you ask me for referrals and recommendations, I give you names. Like I'm going to give you the people that I know, like absolutely love me. So you're better randomly off. reach out to somebody that I don't even give you the name of that, um, you know, can give you their opinion. And, mm-hmm. um, I think that's the best way to get, to get references and, and referrals and to understand if not just the experience they had with the dog and the puppy, but the experience and the relationship that they had with, with the breeder. Mm-hmm. And you said it's hard sometimes to let let go of the puppies. It is hard, yeah. But I've we, I'm trying to coach my sisters too to stop crying when they go home <laughs> because it makes the people feel bad. Um, I, I it's not, sometimes I fail, but for the most part, I'm happy. Like I get excited when people get their puppy. Well, because they're excited. Yeah, they're I used excited. to work on the show Two Cute Puppies and Kittens, the Animal Planet oh, show, yeah. and I would have to watch footage of people picking up their puppies and leaving and like the mom being left behind and I would I would cry every time to, mm-hmm. I mean even even though I know the mama dogs are probably like thank god thank there's gosh. no puppy like <laughs> biting me <laughs> biting anymore. my ears anymore <laughs> I would still get so sad to see the puppies having to leave their mommy yeah something. yeah <laughs> uh, some people get um sad because they're leaving litter mates too oh, and I yeah. tell everybody like a true I really think this is true like by eight weeks old they're sick of each other. Like they want your attention. That's why when you walk in and they're all jumping up, like pick me up, pick me up, it's because they're tired of each other. They yeah. want they want a human. So. But the number one thing I think that's good for puppies is playing with other puppies. Yes, like we have puppy playtime every day, and I think it's like it's the most important thing we do probably for for puppies. For puppies, yeah. Not only getting their energy out, but learning. Yeah. So. Yeah, learning, I mean, helps with nipping for sure, and, and they learn from each other in ways that we can't teach them. Um, and then occasionally, because we have a lot of River Valley Doodles, we'll have... We'll doodle, have, doodle play day. Well, we'll have ones that are actually end up being siblings, or they find out even that they're siblings. Oh, just, I try to connect, especially siblings, I try to connect everybody so they can do sibling play dates if they want to. Well, you and, have the Facebook group for all your owners. Right? Yeah, we have yeah. a private owner's Facebook. We have a public one, we have a private one too, so they can schedule their own play dates if they want to. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been incredibly informative. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, and if people want to learn more, what's the best way for them to find you? Um, our website's rivervalleydoodles.com. And um, I also have a lot of fun with our Instagram account, too, which is also River Valley Doodles. Fun dog fact of the day. Actually, two fun dog facts. One, uh, I recently learned that golden doodles were originally bred to provide um, low-shedding dogs, low-shedding versions of golden retrievers to people who needed uh, service dogs, which is kind of, kind of a cool thing. Um, also, in Australia, they are sometimes referred to as groodles.
which I had to think about for a second because I was trying to figure out where the R comes in and Groodle, since Golden Doodle starts with a G-O and uh, Poodle doesn't have an R in it. <laughs> but um, I think it's Golden Retriever, like G-R, Poodle, Groodle. Anyway, uh, and our woof shout out this week goes to a Frenchie. His name is Gary, or uh, his nickname uh, is Gare Bear. He is a six-month-old foster Frenchie who uh, is currently living with Sahu and Michelle. If you've listened to this podcast before, you might have heard me mention them and their dog, Suki. Uh, Gare Bear is their newest foster. He is adorable. You can see him if you go to their Instagram account which is uh, Bucky's Foster Crew. And if you're interested in adopting a young Frenchie, you can learn more there. Thanks so much for listening. You can support School for the Dogs podcast by telling your friends about it, leaving a review, or shopping in our online store. You can learn more about us and sign up to get lots of free training resources when you visit us online at schoolforthedogs.com. 